Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling this study together, um, and we're learning that they were a divided church that the Apostle Paul was writing to, and he was um, encouraging them, uh, as he said in chapter 1, to be perfectly joined together, to be of the same mind, of the same judgment. And so he's talking about their togetherness when it comes to their unity and working together and loving one another and not being divided. But he's also showing them um, their union with Jesus Christ. How that each of them individually, through repentance and faith, had been brought in to Christ. And he loves that prepositional phrase that we're going to talk about again today, that phrase, in Christ. And so I'd like us to just continue on this study. And today we're going to finish chapter 6. But pro-choice and pro-abortionists have made famous the line that is easily recognizable today, uh, that phrase, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. My sermon today is not about abortion, although what I have to say today could certainly be applied to it. Uh, but I will say that, that I do believe Scripture teaches that abortion is sin, uh, that it's murder. And it's not something a Christian can support in any way. Uh, but my message today, again, is not about abortion. My, my message is about an even more uh, essential and fundamental issue at hand even than that. Uh, it, that begins even before we talk about abortion or anything else. Um, the issue at hand that I want us to look at is who really does own my body. Genesis 14, Abraham worshipped the Lord as the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owns everything, including us. It's one thing to affirm a doctrine or a theological truth. It's one thing to affirm that and say, yes, I believe God owns everything. But it's quite another thing altogether to live and think differently about your own body as a result of what we say we believe. It's one thing to affirm something to be true. It's another thing to live and think differently because of it. Does the truth that God is the owner of all things, including my physical body, affect the way I think and live on a daily basis? Who is it that really owns, controls, and possesses our bodies? That's what the Apostle Paul speaks to us about in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6. If you're able to stand, uh, would you stand with me? And we're going to begin reading in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, 
but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For tooth saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sitteth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul emphasized to the Corinthian church the fact that God owned their bodies, and that should affect how they think and live. And so what I want to preach to you today from this passage, is that as believers, the fact that God owns our bodies should affect the way we think and live. And you might be terrified to know that I have seven points to my message today. And I want to look at seven effects that the fact that God owns our body should have on us. Seven effects that I want us to look at. Number one, the first effect is that we should not allow our bodies to be controlled by something or someone else other than God. We should not allow our bodies to be under the controlling power of someone or something else. In verse 12, Paul is speaking about Christian liberty when he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What's Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that believers are not bound by legalism and the ceremonial and dietary laws of the Old Testament. If you've read through uh, the Old Testament, especially uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Exodus, you know that God had stipulated some very specific laws for the nation of Israel. Some dietary laws, foods that they weren't to eat or foods that they were to eat. uh, Certain days and ceremonies that they were to observe and festivals that they were to keep and rituals that God had laid out for them, And all those served a, an important purpose. They were pointing to Jesus. But that in the New Testament, and after Jesus had come and died and risen from the dead, that those dietary and ceremonial laws uh, that we are no longer bound by. And evidently this phrase in verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, might have been a saying that the Corinthians uh, were using and actually abusing. This, this doctrine of Christian liberty. 
Now, first, let's state the obvious, that all things certainly does not include things that are clearly revealed to be sin in Scripture. When he says, all things are lawful for me, does that mean adultery? Does that mean murder? Does that mean lying? Does that mean uh, child abuse? No, certainly not. There are things clearly revealed to be sin in Scripture, and those things are certainly not lawful. What he's talking about is, what about those things in Scripture that God has not uh, forbidden and that there's no clear principle that, that, that instructs us otherwise? He's saying we have Christian liberty, that we, we might come to different conclusions about things that are not revealed to be sin in Scripture. But then Paul tells us that even though there are things that, that uh, might be permissible for us to do, he says all things are not expedient. And the word expedient means profitable or helpful. And then he comes to this important phrase at the end of verse 12 when he says, I will not be brought under the power of... And the word power gives the idea of authority, that I will not be overpowered. I will not be under the controlling influence. One commentator said that the Christian, no doubt, is competent to do all things, but that he must remain in control and subject to God only and not to anything or anybody else. So as Christians, we're to be controlled by God and not someone or something else. I recently read about a pastor who lost 240 pounds I didn't say he weighed 240 pounds. I said he lost 240 pounds. Jeremy Atwood is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Glasgow, Kentucky. And this is what he said, I quote, God had really been convicting me, bringing me to the point of complete brokenness. So I made an appointment with my doctor. He's referring to his, his weight. At his doctor visit, he stepped on the scale and he was terrified to read 491 pounds. I was shocked. I knew I was out of control, but I didn't know it was that bad. He described himself as a fast food junkie, saying, I mean, I was truly addicted. And here was a man who realized that food had a control over him, that he had been brought under its power. Uh, In a few weeks, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul kind of revisits this idea of something controlling our body when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. He says, I'm not a servant to my body. My body is a servant to me as I am a servant to Jesus Christ. I'm submitted to Him. Can I ask you, do you have any addictions? Is there anything in your life that's not necessarily sinful, but that it has a control or a power over you? You know, the, the options are endless. We, we spoke about food, and certainly food is not simple. Food is, uh, un, is essential for us. We have to have food. But here was a man who said, no, but I, food had a, a control over me, a, a power over me. We could talk about our television. So many of us, are, our phones seem to have a control over us. And the best question to ask is not, is this allowed? That's what children ask. You know, a a child, you know, they want to have ice cream every night uh, for dinner, right? The question is not, is this allowed? Because when they turn 18 or 21 or whenever they get out on their own and they're paying their own bills, can they have ice cream every night? Well, sure, that'll be in their control to do that. The question is not, is it allowed? The question for a Christian who's maturing in grace is to ask, is it profitable? Is it helpful? So, 
God owns my body, and that means, number one, nothing else should control me. Number two, God owns my body, it means we should flee fornication. Paul had a lot to say in 1 Corinthians about fornication. He talks about it uh, in chapters 5 and chapter 6. He's going to talk about it again in chapter 7. One of the key phrases in this text that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is in verse 13. This straightforward assertion that Paul makes that the body is not for fornication. The body is for the Lord. And and apparently the Corinthians had um, another saying, uh, their their culture perhaps had a saying, meats for the belly and the belly for meats. Maybe when we read that earlier in verse 13, you kind of scratched your head wondering what that meant. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. Well, this seems to have have meant that, 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 that we have stomachs that exist for food and we have food that exists for stomachs. They go together. You know, we might say today, it's like like peanut butter and jelly. You know, they just just go together. So we have stomachs, and our stomachs need food. We have food, and they're meant for the stomach. So meats are the belly, belly for meats. And, And there's some truth to that statement. But this became problematic because they were applying this logic not only to to food and to stomachs, but to, to the body and to sex. And the idea for them became, well, the body exists for sex and sex for the body. I mean, we have bodies and there is sex and they go together just like food is for the stomach. So sex is for the body. But Paul wanted them to understand that sex is not the primary purpose of the body. That although God created sex to be experienced and enjoyed within the bounds for marriage, that our bodies were not primarily created for sex and certainly not for fornication, that our bodies were made for the Lord. Now, what is fornication? As we've already talked about through this study, that fornication is illicit sex. It's any sexual activity outside the boundary of marriage between a man and a woman. And so God issues this command uh, in verse 18 through the Apostle Paul, flee fornication. And so since God forbids fornication, God's people who are owned by Him are commanded to flee from it. And the word flee means to escape, to to run from it. In the Old Testament, Joseph, Genesis 39, is the clearest example. He was a slave owned by a man named Potiphar. But Potiphar didn't treat Joseph like a slave. He treated him more like a trusted employee and friend. But Potiphar's wife had eyes for Joseph sexually, and she tried to seduce him. She even invited him to have sex with her. And she grabbed Joseph's coat to seduce him. But the scripture says that Joseph fled. He got out, leaving his coat with her. That's what fleeing fornication looks like. Proverbs 6 uh, describes the one who does not flee fornication as one who plays with fire but expects not to get burned. Fleeing fornication, what does that look like for us? Well, I think it first begins in our minds and in our thoughts. Because long before sexual sin is committed physically, it's already been committed in the mind and in the thoughts. How are your thoughts? What are you looking at? Secondly, we need to assess our relationships with the opposite sex. Whether you're married or unmarried, are are we taking dangerous steps towards sexual sin outside of marriage? 
And let me just add here, just for clarity's sake, something that's so important for, for the current culture that we live in, that cohabitation, that living with someone you are dating but are not married to is sin, and it's the opposite of fleeing fornication. In fact, I would argue that it's fleeing purity. It's fleeing and running from obedience to this command to flee fornication. It's inviting. It's opening wide the door to sexual sin. God owns my body. It means nothing else should be controlling it. It means I should flee fornication. Number three, it means we should live with the awareness that our bodies will be raised from the grave. And Paul was saying in verse 14 that that God raised His Son Jesus from the dead on the third day. He came back alive. And in verse 14, he says, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His own power. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, so He will raise the bodies of believers from the grave. What Paul wanted them to see is that believers will dwell throughout eternity in transformed, glorified bodies. He wanted them to live with the awareness that their bodies were important. That God has an eternal purpose for the human body. That their bodies would be raised. Yes, they'd be transformed, but but their bodies would be raised. They'd be dwelling forever in eternity in a body. They should live in light of that truth. You know, every day of your life, at least, maybe not for you, but every day of my life, Melissa uh, will tell me on my way out in the morning, hey, can you grab the trash and, and throw it in the dumpster? We throw things away. We discard things that we don't ever expect to see again. We, we don't care that it gets crumbled. You know, I, every time I, I take something to the dumpster at the uh, backyard of our, our house, you know, I don't lay it in there carefully hoping that it doesn't get messed up. No, I just toss it in there. I don't have any, any kind of feeling to make sure that it doesn't get dirty or filthy. Why? Because we don't feel that need because we know it has no future purpose to us. It's being discarded. That is not at all how God views our bodies and neither should we. You know, the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, Paul says that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. The idea of first fruits is that it's the very first batch that, 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 that comes, but there's more coming. His resurrection was the first of many others to come. He raised Jesus' body from the grave, and He will raise all of those who through repentance and faith are in Him. And as human beings, we tend towards two errors when it comes to our bodies. One of two errors. Uh, the first one is, number one, we treat the body as ultimate. You know, the exercise fanatic, the one that puts health and fitness and and longevity of life as supreme. They worship the body. The second is treating the body as insignificant. The the overeater, the the one who never exercises, the one that uh, uh, doesn't take care of the body at all. And the answer is not to make an idol out of our bodies or totally disregard our bodies, but the answer, what's the answer? The answer is to steward. To steward our bodies. To realize that God owns it. He's he's given it uh, to me for His purposes. And I'm to use it for His glory. God owns my body. It means nothing else should control me. It means I should flee fornication. It means I should live with the awareness that one day this body will be raised and I will live throughout eternity in a body. Number four, we should live with the awareness that our bodies are the members of of Christ's body. 
You know, I mentioned previously that Paul's favorite prepositional phrase, perhaps, is that phrase, in Christ. Verse 15 through 17 of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul speaks about the union that exists between Christ and believers. So when he says, your bodies are the members of Christ. Know you not that your, your bodies are the members of Christ. And then he says in verse 16, excuse me, verse 17, that we are joined unto the Lord. What's that mean? It means when Jesus saves a person, He takes their entire being, body, soul, and spirit into Himself. And the physical bodies of believers are joined to Christ by the resurrection. Now, you'll never understand verse 15, what it means that your bodies are the members of Christ, until you understand verse 14. And that we have been joined to Jesus by His death and by His resurrection. The resurrection of Christ secures our resurrection from the grave because we are joined, we are united in Him. And Paul ties this point, the fact that that we are in Christ, we are united to Him, that, that our bodies are members, they're the parts of Christ's body. And he ties this point in with what he's been saying about fornication. Now, to remind them that, that, that sex creates a one flesh union. You know, he says that and he quotes in verse 16, he actually is quoting Genesis, for two saith he shall be one flesh. That when, when a person has sex with a prostitute, they are they're joining their body. They're, they're creating a one flesh union through that. And so Paul was wanting them to see how unthinkable it is for something that belongs to Jesus Christ, their bodies, for something that belongs to Jesus Christ to be joined to a prostitute through the union of sex. He says this is unthinkable. Recently, Billy Graham passed away at the age of 99, and I think we would all agree that he was a man of incredibly high Moral character, not, not a perfect man, of course. There are no perfect men other than Jesus. But his reputation was unstained by any kind of sexual misconduct. He refused to even be alone with a woman other than his wife to avoid even the appearance of evil and any type of temptation. But contrast Billy Graham with another man who died five months earlier. Another man who also lived into his 90s. And that man is Hugh Hefner. These two men used their bodies in far different ways. Billy Graham used his body as one whose body belonged to Christ. Hugh Hefner lived as one whose body belonged to prostitutes. I mean, is it not absurd and unthinkable to imagine that that something that belongs to Christ could also belong to a prostitute? No wonder Paul says, God forbid. And the word phrase, God forbid is a strong way of saying, may it not be so. Or as we would say, no way. The word harlot, Paul uses in verse 15, is the word in Greek, porne. And our English word pornography comes from it. And I think it's important for us to ask the question, are you using eyes that belong to Christ to view pornography? Are we living with the awareness that our bodies and each part, each body part that we have are actually the members of Christ's body? 
Romans 6, verse 12 to 13 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that they should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You know, a good daily practice that I was taught, I need to do this more often actually, but a good daily practice is is to surrender every part of your body to the Lordship of Christ in prayer. I had a pastor that taught me that. Before we start today and we, we get in prayer, he would say, one of the great things to do is, my eyes, uh, Lord, these are your eyes. May everything I look at today be in submission to you. My, these are your hands and your feet everywhere I go and all that I do. Lord, may it be in submission to you. These are your ears. May all that I listen to and, and hear today. Be in submission to you. All belongs to Jesus. Our bodies are the members of Christ's body. God owns me. It means nothing else should control me. It means I should flee fornication. I should live with the awareness that I'll be raised from the dead. I should live with the awareness that my body is the member of Christ's body. Number five, we should live with the awareness that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Paul declares, Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the word temple means dwelling. It's further explained in verse 19 when he says to them, The Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit which is in you. The point is clear that the Holy Spirit makes His dwelling within every believer. This week marked the five-year anniversary since we moved to Skokie. We pulled up to 7836 Crawford Avenue with our U-Haul truck on May 8th, 2013. It's our dwelling place. It's where we have lived for the past five years. And, and see, Jesus, He spoke of the Holy Spirit as, as dwelling in believers. John fourteen seventeen. He talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Do you view God as just somewhere way up there who knows and just sees what's going on way down here? Or do you view God, uh, the Holy Spirit, God as living in you, within you. He is in you, and He is with you everywhere you go. And, and that's a comforting and a convicting thought. It's, it is motivation to live holy because the Holy One makes His dwelling in me. God owns my body, and that means nothing else should control me. It means I should flee fornication. It means I should live with the awareness that my body will be raised, that my body is the member of Christ's body, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Number six, God owns my body. It means that we should live with the awareness that our bodies have been purchased. Our bodies have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Paul is still speaking about the body in verse 20 when he says that ye are bought with a price. And no question... This refers to the price that Jesus paid on the cross when He shed His blood for our redemption. 
He's reminding them that that they've been bought, they've been redeemed by Christ when He paid for their salvation with His own blood. Peter referred to that in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19 when he says that, that we haven't been redeemed with any kind of money or anything that's corruptible, anything that's capable of losing its value. But we've been purchased with the blood of Christ. When I was a teenager, I remember a man from my church telling me that when you're tempted to sin, a good practice is uh, to picture Jesus hanging on the cross. And and what, what what a way for us to avoid temptation, to say no to temptation, the difference that it would make if, in how we use our bodies is if when we're tempted to sin, we live with the awareness that this body has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, a, a great monumental price that was paid for us. Last of all, so if God owns my body, I should... Nothing else should be in control of me other than God. I should be fleeing fornication. I should live with the awareness that my body will be raised from the grave. That my body is the member of Christ's body. That my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That my body has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And then lastly, it means that we should glorify God in all that we do with our bodies. And verse 20 is really a summary point because he says, Therefore, or in light of everything that I've said, he says we are to glorify God with our bodies. The glorify carries the idea of honor. It means that all that a believer does with his or her body should bring honor and not dishonor to Christ. And the way Paul words this, he presents it as the duty of those who've been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's a command, it's not a suggestion. We belong to Him, and so it's our duty to glorify and honor Him. But it's not only a command, it's also an incredible privilege. I I was thinking about Luke chapter 7, verse 37. We learn that there's a woman who... The Bible indicates it lived a very impure life. She was more than likely a a prostitute. Jesus is eating at a man's house. His name is Simon. He's a religious man. Probably appeared to be very moral. To most people, he would appear the very opposite of this prostitute woman who showed up at the house. And so she... She enters Simon's house where Jesus and a number of other people are eating. And she walks over to where Jesus is. She bows down at his feet. And she has this very expensive perfume that she starts to anoint his feet with. And while she's doing this, she becomes overwhelmed with the emotion of gratitude that she has. Because Jesus has transformed this woman. She has responded to his call to repent and believe on him. And now she's no longer living the life of a prostitute. She's living as a daughter of the king. She's been changed and she's wanting to show her gratitude in worship to Jesus. And so she bows down and she's placing this perfume on his feet. And she's overwhelmed with emotion that she begins to cry. And her tears are 
are falling on Jesus' feet and she's, his feet are getting wet by her tears. And so she's probably embarrassed by that. And so she doesn't have a towel or anything with her. So she's using her hair to dry his feet. Now this woman has been so radically changed by Jesus. And, and what a picture it is because her body that was once used for sin is now being used to worship, to honor and glorify Jesus. Even the tears and the hair of her head is being used in worship. And everyone in that room, other than Jesus, thought what she did was irrational, was wasteful. But Jesus presents her as the only person in that room who really seemed to get her purpose. I mean, is there any other natural response that she could have had in light of all that Jesus had done? Now she wants to glorify Him with her body. And is it our highest aim in life to glorify God with our bodies? And have we made that settled commitment and to fulfill our duty to glorify Him and even view it as the great privilege? You know, a good and even simple question to ask ourselves constantly is does God receive glory from what I'm about to do? Does this glorify God, the one who owns me? I want to close, but my body, my choice. My body, my choice. No, not if you're a Christian. And certainly, as we've seen, that doesn't just apply to abortion. It or even to sexual activity, but but to everything that we do with our bodies. If you are a true Christian, you're not the owner of your body. Your body doesn't belong to you. You are not your own. It's God's body. He has purchased it. He owns it. It belongs to Christ. Maybe we should change that phrase. My body, God's choice. That, that, That shouldn't just be a mantra. But what it should be is the way we live our lives. It's the body that God has given to me, but it's, it's His will. You know, the perfect response to a message like this, I know I've thrown a lot at you. But the perfect response to a message like this is, is Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I want to urge you, if you're saved, that you would yield your body. And it's as if you're laying it on the altar of sacrifice to God, saying, Lord, you own my body, and I want to yield my body to you. If you're here and you're not genuinely a Christian, Jesus Christ is calling out to you. And He wants body, soul, and spirit, your entire being, to belong to Him. He created you. He sent His Son to redeem you. And He says in His Word that if you'll repent and believe the gospel, if you'll confess your need for Christ, turn from your sin and believe on Him, 
and trust in Him and follow Him as Lord. His Word says, He will save. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.